Welcome to In the Company of Trees. My name is Tobin Mitnick, and I'm a Jew who loves trees. I am here with Casey Clapp. Casey! Hello, everyone. Ah, great. Great. Oh, and today we are interviewing for the second time, but the first time that you will hear it, David Allen Sibley. We we really should just do everything twice. That way we can just get it all right make sure that we know exactly what we're going to say mm-hmm. and we know exactly how to react you know where do the laughs go which yeah. was a joke what should we say again <laughs> where do the laughs go yeah that always goes really well whenever you plan for the laughs i've done it live before and it always works out um <laughs> but i i think did you I guys think just you... see what i did there do you see how i, I just uh, that was that was all planned yeah uh, oh god uh p.s i was watching uh my daughter really likes scooby-doo right now and i'm watching the 1970s or like the first seasons of scooby-doo and they have canned laughter in the cartoon yeah I was it's like, so good what? Uh, oh it's, it's fantastic brilliant. oh it's brilliant it's beautiful i love um, scooby-doo I, that was like when i was a kid that was my favorite thing to watch yeah my my daughter also went why is shaggy always hungry and i was like, like well <laughs> Do you want the Shaggy? sociopolitical explanation for this, Lucy? <laughs> no, just just let her know that he's a growing boy, just like just like you're oh, a growing good. girl. Yeah, he's a growing boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was a growing boy for all of junior year of college too. <laughs> that was fun. Um, anyway, we have David Allen Sibley with us today. We just got done talking to David. Um, David is David wrote, I think, what is the most important tree guide, tree field guide in Casey in my life. It's called the Sibley Guide to Trees, and he it came out in two thousand nine. And we are obsessed with this thing. Um, Casey's is, is the backing, has it fallen off of yours yet? Um, only on the top and the bottom. So mm-hmm. it's getting, it's getting pretty rough, but oh, man, God. the thing looks like it, it's folded in like six different places. Mm-hmm. All of the pages are kind of like messed up a bit. Cause I was telling you that I, I've put a lot of leaves in here. So a yeah. lot of the pages have just absorbed the, yeah, the, the uh, leaf, uh, <laughs> yes. moisture. Yes, this this uh, this all the anthocyanins on um on the sugar maple page exactly. Um, you get it. Oh God. Um. Anyway. Um. So we had David on. Uh, we love David. It was so fun to talk to him. He's over in Massachusetts. Um. He's he's of course mostly a birder. David is one of the world's leading ornithologists. He's written the Simply Guide to Birds that came out I think in two thousand. Um. And I think so. Right. And that might be the most widely distributed birding guide in the United States. And he he's an artist. He's a he's a painter. He's a casual expert in trees, which still blows my mind. Um, Just casual. Casual, but like up until now, we'll mention it in the podcast. Casey and I kind of just refer to him as Sibley in the same way that you know, exactly. you might say Webster or something like that. Because yeah, he's it, just a household name. You yeah. just you it's and also he's this he's this ephemeral kind of being where everyone says ah uh, Sibley Sibley says this Sibley says that you know yes. the, the Sibley guide. I don't yes. ever call it the David Allen guide. No, I don't call it the David Allen guide. Um, yes, but there are the Sibleyites, and I'd imagine there is the. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know because see the that's the so thing, Toby. There's nobody else. No, I know. Yeah, I guess you um, could say there could be the Dur or the Durites. The those Durites who are all about the landscape like of woody landscape plants by Michael A. Dur. Landscape but, of woody landscape plants. No, oh, I'm sorry. The manual of woody landscape plants. Okay, I like landscape of woody landscape. I like getting a, a typo right. I like having redundancy right there in the title, so it's you know easy. what you're yeah, getting. Well, you know exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, wow. that's the only other I think guide that I could imagine. But it's not really a guide. That's like it's a literal manual. Like it's mm-hmm. to here's how you identify and all these very particular botanic things. Completely different function, uh, different function from the Sibley Guide to Trees. We, 100%. It's very much like David's is much more about the impression of a tree and how that breaks down. His mm-hmm. impression of a tree, the gestalt of a tree that he understands a tree to be, and how he can break that down into its most important and if I can editorialize a little bit, beautiful signifiers. like, uh, And that's where he paints a beautiful uh, Jeffrey Pinecone or an incredible, uh, list, uh, does an incredible description of, you know, um, a great basin bristlecone pine. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this guide feels so personal. Um, everybody go out and buy it if you don't have a copy of the Sibley Guided Trees. I know that you guys have talked out the wazoo about it over on Completely Arbitrary. Oh, but, yeah. Um, my God, it, it's it, it's wonderful. I can't say enough um, amazing things about it. Truly um, is. Okay. Well, we won't uh, we won't delay you any further. We'll get right into the conversation, which rolls. Um, 
And uh, Casey and I are going to do the tree prayer together today. Um, yes, we are. He's kind of like my uh, my guest combination priest and rabbi today. Um, he is like some new new heterodox ideas that are a little frightening mm-hmm. to my church, but um, I invited him in because um, I like to think I'm an open minded uh, religious leader. Okay. I appreciate that, and I also appreciate that uh, you have elevated me to the level of religious leader. Also, <laughs> yeah, welcome. Did I, did I tell you that um, I have a uh, a superlative that um, I was given one time by a a team, and they said I thought you said Casey, teen. <laughs> a, a team. It was a. It was a. It was. A, it was. It was a sports team. Okay. Oh, I thought you said teen. Okay, but oh it was no, a no, team. by team, okay. <laughs> and uh, it was most likely to lead a cult. Or rather, be a cult leader. So, I feel like I'm just making steps towards that right now. Have a, no, you're not. You have no interest in people like putting aside their personal interests for um, the th- <laughs> like. You're. I think they just mean you're charismatic. Maybe mm, that. Maybe that's what they I, mean. Potato, p- potato. So whatever. Uh, you have said that to me before. Potato, potato. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do the tree prayer. Let's, let's do, it. do it. Okay, I'll start it off. In the company of trees, I feel whole. In the company of trees, I feel home. With trees, I am tinglier. With trees, I am minglier. I raise my cup of water and pour it at your roots. So you can drink your health all the way out your shoots. May you grow your fill and help me to grow mine. Thank Thank you, you, trees. trees. Yeah, uh, David was just telling me that uh, that the color on the East Coast is like drab this year. Really? Yeah. Well, Bummer. I feel I read something about this and I can't remember what it was, but it was the discussion was like what makes good color and what makes bad color, or like what what changes. Mm-hmm. And man, I cannot for the life of me remember what the the mechanism was but it had a lot to do with the weather throughout the summertime if it was like too hot or too cold or if there was like an early rain or something like that but does that ring a bell for anybody yeah i think i've heard that the weather the weather in the fall as the trees are beginning their shutdown um the weather in the fall is what one of the big factors that influences the color and it's um Mm. The color's better when it's very dry, when it's a dry fall, yeah. and the color is better with um, cold nights and warm days. And uh, we haven't had either of those. We haven't had, we haven't really had any cold weather yet. Nothing really cold, no frost. And, um, oh. and it's been extremely wet, um, really drenching rain every every week oh, since man. the middle of Whoa. the summer so that's too bad so it's kind of David. a recipe for not good fall color <laughs> but it's yeah, still it's no good and it's not still okay. still pretty impressive um yeah it's I, peaking I, right now <laughs> i was gonna say that maybe uh that you're not that impressive is like out of this world for everybody else <laughs> yes i was saying earlier it's exactly like when californians complain about the weather when Los, when Angelinos complain about the complain about how it was a terrible day today because it was sixty six degrees and there were three clouds uh, blocking the sun around one p.m. and it ruined my day. Um, <laughs> yeah. It does make me every time I travel back to the East Coast, it does increase my like seasonal depressive disorder like out the wazoo. Though I've mm. become so soft on the West Coast that I'm just like, oh my god, I'm so sad if it's a drab day when I go home for Thanksgiving or something. Yeah. Um, Okay, we don't have to talk about my uh, personal life, David. Let me give you let me give you your intro. Um, first off, we have absolutely never had this exact conversation before, and I definitely didn't screw up the audio from the first time we had this conversation. Um, so I'm excited to ask all of these questions for the first time and uh, have really really spontaneous answers the entire time. Uh, okay, te- we have with us today uh, David Allen Sibley. Now. Um, Again, this is our second conversation. Dropping my dropping the facetiousness for a second. Um, so we're gonna. I I I'd imagine it's just gonna be. It's gonna move along at a fast clip because we're gonna have all the answers. Um, he's an internationally renowned ornithologist. Uh, he's the leading author of 
uh, a bajillion. I think it's a bajillion uh, birding guides. And well, um, I think it's close to a bajillion. And he's an accomplished artist. I mean, he, he's actually one of the best draftsmen I've ever seen. I'm getting very much just into like pencil drawing right now. And I'm like, eh, David's better. Um, and he's <laughs> he portrays each of his subjects, whether that's a tree or a bird with just like painstaking beauty. It's pretty inspiring stuff. And he's also the author of the most influential tree guide in Casey in my life, which is 2009's Simply Guide to Trees. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're an inspiration to, to, to budding naturalist, uh, pun intended around the world. So, um, new question this time, which would you be if you had to be one, a bird or a tree? Yeah. Oh, hmm. I wanted to trip you up this time. Choosing between a bird or a tree. Um, yeah. Being one. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I get asked which bird I would like to be. Um, mm, not on this street podcast. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to say I, it's tough. Um, uh, the tension is so high right now. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I have to say a bird. Oh no. Yeah. Wow. It the happened again. Is over. Again, we gotta get. We gotta. We gotta quit. We gotta, but I was. I was really hoping. I was really hoping. Um, I was. I was really gonna be able to like sell it. Like, oh yeah, a tree. Because then you get to hang out with a lot of different kinds of birds. But <laughs> you de- Well, you definitely uh, know how better to be a bird because you wrote an entire book called "What It's Like to Be a Bird." Um, so maybe that's the known yeah, that makes you more comfortable. I guess. Um. You know, it's one of the things that I, that one of the sort of epiphanies, revelations that came to me as I was working on the tree guide after working on, on the guide to birds, that um, trees can't see, so they don't really care what they look like. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it makes tree identification a little more complicated because the birds... Birds use vision and sound to communicate with each other, and uh, pretty much the way we do. So a lot of their, a lot of what they look like really matters. But anyway, that's getting back to the. Uh, <laughs> since trees can't see, I don't know how I would experience all the things that are going on around me, and that at the same time makes me really curious to know what it would be like to be a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how how it would feel to have you know fifty birds landing in my in the in the twigs at the top <laughs> of my branches and um, Casey, you've often expressed that that's a secret desire of yours, isn't that? True? It is, and you're yeah. a, you're a person. Exactly. I just, I don't even want to be the tree. I just want to be sitting there with fifty birds landing all over me. Yes, but and I just feel like dra- that's draped uh, in in white and black as twerk. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Don't wear my finest clothes when I do that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, so the tree guide. I want to give a little bit of an intro to kind of like how I observe the tree guide in your in your oeuvre. Um, is that when I look at your the the list of all of the guides that you've published and all of the 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 works that you've published uh the tree guide stands out as a as an outlier because of course it's about trees um but also the fact that you just kind of took a couple of years to write a tree guide independent of of your bird guides is i used this metaphor last time but it's a lot like um if michael jordan had gone to the you know to double a um and then gotten into triple a and then gotten into the majors and then become you know uh mickey mantle in the majors and just casually been the greatest at two sports so um i don't want to like make you uncomfortable but it's uh it's freaky like you're you're a nature polymath um and i wondered if you could tell us we're going to get in a little bit into your background now um you know growing up your father was an ornithologist um mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if you could tell me about the the guy with the amazing name that you told us about last time who influenced oh, yeah. you as a kid growing up in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, 
in Connecticut, actually. Um, it, oh, I apologize. So that, yeah, one of my my early mentors, um, aside from my my father and my brother, the people that I was birding and outdoors with all the time, but the um, I had a lot of really good mentors. But one in Connecticut was a guy named Noble Proctor. Noble Proctor, and uh, amazing. Yeah, he he was a true nature polymath. He just he had such an incredible memory and ability to identify and categorize things. So he he knew he was the best birder in Connecticut. And um but also the one of the experts on lichens, insects, trees, wildflowers, ferns, um, mammals, snakes you could ask him about anything, any living thing in the state of Connecticut, and he would say, oh, there's a good spot to find them over here, 30 miles away. Uh, and he was the first, he set out, uh, in, I think maybe 20 years ago, maybe in the 1990s, um, he set out to see how many species he could find in a day, species of living things that he could identify Right. Um, this is a good story. Visible to the naked eye. And he found over a thousand species of living things, found and identified <laughs> a thousand species of living things in one day. Was something, someone like timing him, do you think? Like who was <laughs> who who was the official making sure that Noble Proctor was, you know, getting yeah. all these things, writing them all down? Yeah. yeah. Well it's a it's a whole new sport. So he he invented Ooh. it and invented the rules, I guess, but what do you guys think about like a naturalist Olympics? What do you think about this? I was just thinking that same yes. thing. <laughs> yes. Okay. So our one event yeah. is we call it we call it like the um, the proctathlon, which yeah, is when like, you have to yeah. identify one thousand species or as many species as one can in say a twelve hour period. Uh-huh. Exactly. We we would need to find a bunch of people and see how good they are because if they can reach up to Proctor's level then we could say, okay, you have to, you know, we have to set a threshold of like, you know, get as close as you can to a thousand, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. just have, would it be in different places? What if there is, uh, what if you're in the Southwest, you know? Oh my gosh. This is why this event doesn't exist because it's about a billion times complicated than we've just <laughs> formulated. Uh, there's absolutely no way to standardize this. Wow. I got so excited and now my bubble is completely burst. I think uh, we can standardize it. Don't, don't, <laughs> let's not settle just like that, Tobin. I think we can make this happen. We just have to be, we just have to think a little bit outside the box. I feel like people trying to, uh, people trying to make, um, the outdoors into a sporting event, um, are, are not going to be thought on kindly by history or like the kind of people who gravitate to the outdoors who, who might be a little bit more bookish and like internal anyway. They're like, I can't believe you've made a competition out of these things. I just feel very sensitive towards. (laughs) There is good. We should be sensitive to that. that. But it's a lot of fun. And, and, uh, I mean, a lot, the sort the more competitive side of birding, the listing aspect, people, um, disparage it and but it, a lot of what's known about birds and bird distribution has been learned because of people who were listing who were trying to find mm. x species in their home state or during a certain month or just out looking for new things and oh wow that's a, a big part of the the drive the motivation for getting out there and looking for things is to add something to your list so listing David, has a really any, um oh sorry uh, can you yeah can you can can you define listing a little bit more just as as someone who's who's obviously much more in the tree realm listing is just listing is just uh saying it's... and labeling everything and finding everything that's in a given area yeah well just keeping a list <laughs> and your list all right your list okay. can be and and birders keep lists of everything the the list focused birders especially you'll have a list of a list of the species you've seen in your yard a list mm-hmm. of your species you've seen this year in your home county in your home state in other states you've visited in 
North America and all of the United States, the lower 48 states. Um, wow. Any region can be a category for a list and any time oh, period wow. can be a category for a list. So, Oh, that's really cool. By, so, by day, by month, by year. Are there any like, uh, are there any particular like, because you said this, this uh, listing obviously has a competitive aspect to it. So are, are there, do you have any favorite kind of listing rivalries in birding history? Like, are there any, <laughs> has anybody ever like, um, uh, has, has anybody ever come to blows or challenged anybody to a duel, um, over uh, some of their bird, oh. over their listing? Um, you know, it does get heated sometimes oh, wow. there, uh, and you're probably going to ask me for a specific story, which I don't have, but <laughs> no, vibes, give me the there vibes was... of the, of the, of the heated arguments. Yeah. You know the the movie The Big Year that was it came out twenty years ago maybe. Um, it's about a um, a bunch of bird listers, three three bird listers in particular who were trying to okay. see as many species as they could in North America in one calendar year, and uh, it gets very competitive. And the movie the movie didn't get great um, great <laughs> reviews. It's it's Steve Martin, Jack Black, and uh, Owen Wilson. Those are the and... greatest actors in the history of mankind. How is this not? How <laughs> yeah, is this not a Best Picture winner? I think how people had you? very high expectations that it was going to be the funniest movie ever made. Okay. And they actually, what they ended up making was more like, uh, kind of an explanation of the excitement of bird watching and listing. See, that appeals to me. <laughs> See, I think so, that appeals to all of us. But yeah, it ended I, up. I can understand. <laughs> the the birders were really nervous about it when it was being advertised because we thought these three great comedians. It's going to just poke fun at birding for two two solid hours, mm. and um, it ended up being more serious. And it's actually a really good movie about birding and and listing. Oh wow. Um, I am absolutely gonna watch this movie. Should it we do a? Like... We'll do like a watch along, Casey. <laughs> yeah, it's on. It's on YouTube. You can you can watch the whole thing. YouTube uh, movies. Oh, this is great news. Um, I, I but there's a, a, and... examples of listing. Oh, yeah, okay. Tobin, okay. did you know that there is a yeah, species checklist in the back of your Sibley's guide? Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I was I was too busy uh, reading. I was too I, I was too busy getting into the lobes of leaves to to, uh, to look at that, but um, as so I should do does. that. Actually, I'll, maybe I'll do that today. That's kind of fun. Yeah, um, I actually uh, have have wanted to do this for years, and then each time I just forget to write down what species I find, or I'm just not one hundred percent. So I have like leaves mm-hmm. saved in different sections of this, so that I can come back later. But then inevitably yeah. I forget, and then some leaf falls out. I'm like, oh man, is that the embryoak? <sighs> some leaf falls out <laughs> yeah and uh but i'd really like to like to, to go through this because also i can i can probably find a bunch that have been planted here in uh in oregon just to check it out yeah oh, yeah um so um, one thing Sibley or david i just refer to you by your last name nowadays. <laughs> I know. this is this is something uh, i mentioned last time that like before we had a chat with david it was just sibley this disembodied uh <laughs> like uh, source of yeah. knowledge like webster's webster's yeah, exactly. says yeah. yes <laughs> david did you do you think or are are you hoping maybe that you have had a similar effect on people as proctor did on you where Everyone would read your your two your two main guides or your 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 kind of flagship bird and tree guides and think, man, this guy knows everything. Like, have you heard from people that you've had, um, like younger students or professionals, kind of realize, wow, I can do all of this and like get really inspired? Um, yeah, and that it, it's, um, I think Noble really inspired me to to look beyond birds, to pay attention to everything, not just birds. And that probably had a direct line to me doing the tree guide. Um, uh, and yeah, I think it's really important to, to be, have a broader view and a 
to pay attention to everything that's out there. Um, and that was, I guess, part of my goal with the tree guide was to um, make um, to make birders who were using my bird guides think more about about trees and and by extension other things as well to sort of introduce them to the rest of the natural world. And, but everybody, most birders are are generally all interested in all aspects of nature. And um, uh, I guess my the way I thought about the tree guide as I was working on it was that I wanted to produce a guide to trees that was designed to function more like the modern bird guides do. So just a catalog mm -hmm. of illustrations and picture matching for identification instead of keys and detailed um, text descriptions, but just yeah. a, uh, a matching pictures to what you've just seen. That That's the way bird guides function now. And I wanted to do a tree guide in the same mold um, that would be more familiar to um, what bird watchers are used to in their field guides now. Oh, that's really cool. Because that kind of answered a question that I was I was thinking about, like when you when you wrote the tree guide, was there something you thought was missing in the kind of other tree guides that that you'd seen, or you know, did you just feel the need to make something beautiful because you could, and you'd accrued the knowledge to that point? Um, but that's interesting that you you'd like it to appear. You wanted something that somebody could hold in their hands that was more gestalt, more gestalty, right? Yeah. Like something that felt more handmade and gestalty. Uh, gestalty is not a word, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna use it in this podcast. Um, and and much more about like and again, I'm I'm using this word to both date myself and everybody in this conversation. Much more about vibes, like much more about the impression mm -hmm. that a tree gives as opposed to the cut and dried measurement of the lobes or, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, whether something is opposite or alternate. Um, yeah. and I think that's one of my favorite things about holding the tree guide is that it, it feels like a compendium of impressions, um, as opposed to something clinical. Um, what are, what are some of the things that you, you love most about the guide. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the choices that, that you made, or perhaps that some of your, mm. your editors helped you make that, that you're, that you're proud of. Like, what are some of the favorite things, your favorite things in the tree guide? Um, you know, it was all, uh, kind of an experiment and exploration as I did it. I was learning about trees as I went and, um, uh, and figuring out what the guide would be and how it would work as I went along. I knew mostly I wanted it to be illustration based. That was the mm -hmm. the fundamental premise that it was based on illustrations and the text is supporting the illustrations instead of most tree guides are the other way around. It's it's text text for the identification and then you can look at pictures to see if it um, mm -hmm. looks right. Um, and the things that really came out of all that, um, for me, um, was the, um, uh, just learning, getting a sense of the, um, similarities, but within a group, like all the oaks, I mean, oaks is a that's an easy group to define. They have acorns. Um, they, uh, the leaves are in many species are, are lobed. And, um, uh, there's a certain look to oak trees that's different from maples, hickories, ashes, birches, and getting, doing all the illustrations and putting it all together. Um, for me, it really brought out the, the character of the group more than the character of the species. Mm. Um, yeah. And I guess I felt like by the time I was finished, I felt like um, someone using the guide should be happy if they can look at a tree from a distance and say, oh, that's a birch. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that to me is really the strength of the book um, to 
emphasize those group characteristics um, more than the the species. Um, yeah, because in many many cases like... the species are so similar and difficult to tell apart and so variable that it's it's often like Casey was just saying about <laughs> is that is that an emery oak or something else? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, but like you're very careful also to like include if something has a has a really particular shape within its group, like you know the Italian stone pine, which has a really particular uh, growth. Habit. Yeah, you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to illustrate this tree. Um, yeah, the the fullness of this tree as opposed to just concentrating on like the the cones and the needles. Um, yeah, and I did think I when I started I thought I would be including a lot more of those whole tree images, but the more I got into it the more uh, the trees are so variable depending on where they grow um that there isn't really a characteristic shape of many of the species so there there is if you're looking at a tree that's growing in the open by itself in the middle of a a field or a park um they do tend to grow in certain ways um but uh, they're just so variable. Otherwise, it was it just didn't make sense to to illustrate all the different variations of all those species. Yeah, you could write a book about like you know ponderosa pine. You could write an entire book about just yeah. about variations in the. And Casey, yes, I will give you your soapbox for talking about how they are turning those subspecies into. Spe- Do you want to talk about it? Oh, I see you itching. No. I see you itching just, to Casey. I invite over you here to reading, you know, itis and all these taxonomy things, just to be like, well, when do I have an opportunity? <laughs> Go on, no, talk to uh, us about it. Well, this is uh, something we brought up the last time. Is sort of how uh, how you can you can make a drawing or a painting or some kind of illustration, but not really be able to capture the the specific differences between trees because we're we're now moving from this visual. Um, kind of humanistic relationship with trees to this molecular and genetic relationship, which in one regard is is good. Scientists are dialing in their uh, their degrees in terms of how they separate things. But at the same time, it does lose something where you can see a tree that for all intents and purposes looks exactly the same as the tree that you saw just over there. But genetically, that one is a different species than this one. And um, as one who is a practitioner, and sorry, the look, the context here is the ponderosa pine, where it is currently being split into multiple different species based on uh, being in the south, being in the north, being in the northeast and the coast, things like that. And it, it it makes me wonder as a practitioner who like what is more applicable to to people? You know, you go through the the Sibley Guide to Trees and you say, oh, well, there's a ponderosa pine, and then maybe there's an asterisk, you know, one of the little yellow boxes that say, hey, just so you know, they might be splitting these into you know a variety or this or that, but just keep that in mind. Versus the the person who's just going out as um as a as a naturalist just trying to interact with the trees get to know them you don't need to scientifically know the the pedanticness of well this is the benthiama pine and this is the rocky mountain pine mm-hmm. well, for all <laughs> intents and purposes they are as as close as someone from uh from china is to someone from africa to someone from south america we're all they're all still the same species but you know when do we start splitting those up it just becomes a an mm-hmm. interesting um an interesting problem. So I don't know if I if I want to call it a soapbox because I'm not convinced if I'm a lumper or a splitter. Yeah, in this yeah I didn't. I didn't mean. Yeah, Casey's here to to peddle his scientific <laughs> nonsense. Ah, Casey's back with his chemical studies again. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Listen, this book is like way too thin. You know, you no, really have not covered the varieties yeah. near as much. No, it should it's be a, I mean six, one of my six yeah. pages of ponderosa pines. <laughs> Honestly, that'd be Thank fine you. with me. Someone we said could, that I could spend <laughs> having not been up in like uh, like m- m- amongst mountain trees for the for like f- seven or eight months now, just because of like mm. new baby stuff. Um, it, I I 
I miss them so much. Mm-hmm. Like I miss, I miss the, uh, like being up and not getting as much oxygen into my brain as usual so much and experiencing trees mm-hmm. at that elevation. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't have to talk about uh, uh, my personal gripes. Well, uh, well one thing I'm, uh, I'm curious about. And so you, uh, for you, David, you have spent your time doing obviously birds, obviously trees. Do you have an inkling to now separate yourself to a, another another large subject like insects or fungi or shrubs a biography know, like, of of noble proctor perhaps yeah, uh, there you go six thousand page five <laughs> yeah. volume biography of noble proctor thinking of writing about economics maybe Ooh, Ooh. yeah just casually dip into that just that casually fun. win the pulitzer <laughs> yeah. prize and yeah like, hayekian oh. over here wow <laughs> um uh no i'm actually not thinking of branching <laughs> branching out any farther than uh um I'm back to working on birds now um and uh doing some stuff that I'm really really enjoying really excited about with birds and um looking forward to that and the trees it was a uh it was a tremendous experience and but it took seven years and mm. and I don't, uh, I'm kind of looking at the amount of time I have left in my life to be productive. I think, thinking. Yeah. I mean, you're almost, you're almost a 30, a third of the way through your life. I mean, yeah, like, yeah something like that. <laughs> are you, um, are you familiar with Chris Gaines at all? The alter ego of Garth Brooks? No. What? Well, Garth Brooks, uh, you're familiar with Garth Brooks, the country singer from the yeah. 90s and so on. Just he warning you, this... Casey, I'm going to cut you off if this seems like it's straying into <laughs> genuinely unhelpful territory, but go on. It might be, but I'm curious if this, if you feel like your your tree guide is just your Chris Gaines sort of era where Garth Brooks was like, you know what, I need to become a, a like edgy pop singer for a second. And just dove into that and then had this whole alter ego and then came back and continued to do country. So I'm wondering if uh, yeah. you're getting back to birds, you're like, no, I, I like it over here. And just dabbling with trees is kind uh-huh. of you saying, you know, I'm going to go jump over and be, be this edgy alter ego, David Allen Sibley, <laughs> and then come back. Does that, does that have any, uh, does that ring true at all? Or are you like, no? Nah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, just to the extent that I I wanted to try something different. I wanted to do something that wasn't birds to kind of stretch myself and and um uh and I feel like I I learned I mean I learned a tremendous amount about trees but also about nature in general and books and mm-hmm. painting and it was a tremendous learning experience. It's like uh you know, like spending my life living in the U.S. and then going to live in, say, Thailand for seven years. It yeah. Just I come back to the U.S. and say, "Yeah, this is this is my home." But wow, what an experience that was! Um, so less like a Chris Gaines um, experiment, and more like your year abroad in college. More, yeah. like, more like a sophomore sophomore fall, right? <laughs> that's fine well i guess you can choose your metaphor one long party (laughs) yep oh man can we quote you on that one long party the simple guide to trees was just one it was just one long party it is for me i like it um i bring it to all my parties with my friends and i'm like you guys, I know you're into drugs, but have you read the Sibley Guide to Trees? <laughs> um, and that's some cool stuff. Uh, yeah, I I think it's um, moving. Oh gosh, what was I going to say? Oh, whatever, I can just delete that part. Me trying to, <laughs> me trying to segue <laughs> unsuccessfully. Um, yeah, and I feel like um, the one of the questions that we asked you last time that I thought was really funny is, you know, you always do, you have to make these kind of editorial scientific and taxonomic choices because trees are convergent are an example of convergent evolution where everything kind of moved into the shape of a tree uh, separately as opposed to having a common ancestor. So, you know, there's a lot of choices that can be made for somebody creating a field guide. Um, and I forget what you said last time, but you like made some sort of choice that like angered the cottonwood people, <laughs> like the people who are into cottonwoods got, <laughs> got furious. It, uh, I, 
Well, I guess this kind of gets back to Casey's comment about the taxonomy of of ponderosa pines, but cottonwoods are super complex taxonomically. And um, what's a species? What's a hybrid? Um, how many species do you recognize? And uh, in a field guide, it's you know you have to simplify and and um, I mean, naming species is just categorizing. It's it's black or white. You either you either call something a species or not. There's no yes. no gray zone. So no, you're yeah. the man in the arena, and you have to make the decision. <laughs> yeah. So I um, I heard from a couple of people about my my treatment of cottonwoods and how it wasn't uh, <laughs> didn't match with what how how they saw the cottonwood group being sorted out. Um, well, but, well, I, I guess I, again, just to follow up on, on Casey's ponderosa pine thing, that the same thing happens in, in birds and all, all living things. Now that, now that genetics are part of the, the landscape and we, are learning all this information about what's related, which which populations are related, how close they are. Um, you can take that information back out, and where you might have been looking for years at ponderosa pines across the West and seeing, um, oh, there look, there's a lot of variation here. They're a little different. The cones are bigger, smaller. The spines on the cones are bigger, smaller, or curved differently, or the bark's a little different, or the needles. Um, and it just seems like a, a whole bunch of random variation and sometimes getting the genetic information to say, oh, this, this group here in these mountain ranges is really different from these. Then you can go out and look and say, oh, now I see mm-hmm. the, the needles are just variable, but the bark is actually a pattern of it looks one way here and it looks different in those mountains. Um, that mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So you can take that. I really have been having a great time learning all of these, the results of all these genetic studies, because it points towards how these things might sort out. And then you can go look at the, the trees or the birds in the wild and and say, and make sense of the variation that you've been seeing mm-hmm. sometimes. And see how it compares against, you know, what you wrote down in your guide, and like, yeah, um, if I would, is it worth changing it for that? Like, is it is, is it, or do I want to stay much more in the in the zone of like helping people understand things according to groups? Um, I mean, that is me presuming yeah. that you know there would be a second edition of the tree guide coming. Which, um, look, a guy yeah. can help, right. um, but <laughs> Casey, <laughs> pique your interest much? Yeah, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. If you need any help, <laughs> let me know. Casey, I'll right. do it for you. Um, I want to turn now to, uh, uh, the, the inner life of David Sibley, you know, that, uh, that, of course, that scandalous pamphlet distributed all over Massachusetts, the inner, the inner life of David Allen Sibley. Um, I want to talk about, uh, trees that stand out to you, trees that stand out to you from culture, um, or memories from a book or, um, portrayals of a tree from a painting or, um, a shot of a tree from a movie, um, are there any that stand out to you or that you think about or um, that kind of kind of live in the back of your head somewhere? Um, uh, no, there are trees that I trees that I have lived with um, kind of in my backyard and there's not um, they're not particularly grand or unique but um uh and i think i wrote i wrote about that a little bit in the in the forward of the tree guide how much we interact with trees how much they become part of our lives um so when i think of trees that have meaning to me i think of these trees that you know the trees that i climbed as a kid the trees that my kids climbed, the trees that we played 
there was a holly tree in our yard when we lived in Cape May, New Jersey, when my kids were little, um, there was a holly tree at the corner of the backyard that would drop holly, spiny holly leaves. Sweet. And whenever the, the, the soccer ball or the wiffle ball went back there, somebody had to put shoes on and walk back there to get it. <laughs> nice. And it's things like that. Um, and here where I am right now, um, right behind me in the front yard is um, uh, there's a line of four giant old sugar maples that were probably planted maybe before the house, this house was built. There was an earlier house on this same spot. They might be 140 years old or something. And they're, they're too big to wrap your arms around and but they just um they're just this incredible presence in front of the house all the time now i've just described a kind of majestic <laughs> tree but for the most part the trees that i think of are just the ones that have been in, in our in our yard the ones that i see every day and and uh live That'll around be part of your story yeah exactly no matter the kind of that have kind of just been <laughs> kind of just been there. Um, I was having a really con inf interesting conversation with somebody who grew up in uh, in South LA, um, and he was basically exposed to to know nature as a kid. Um, but and you know, s since then he's done very well, and he's been able to travel all over California and the United States, and basically see whatever he wants, whether that's a city, whether that's a mountain, whatever. Um, and he's seen the grandest of the grand, and uh, but he said the the tree that still matters most to him was this kind of like like pos um you know naval orange tree that was like struggling for life on the street corner because it was the only interaction with nature that he had when he was a kid mm -hmm. like a really rough upbringing this thing never gave any fruit and he was always on the verge of dying but it just it never did and because of its permanency throughout his childhood it just became meaningful to him um not because it was um an important tree in the grand scheme of things but just because he had invested it, it was just always present in any memory that he had of his childhood it was a fixture mm -hmm. and i think that's that's how i think a lot of us think about um trees in our childhood too they might not have done anything particular we might not have eaten apples from them the same way that you would from the giving tree but they're just there and they're uh signifiers of a time in your life mm -hmm. um and this is a this is this is actually a good segue because i'm i'm curious one of your kids, David, you have two sons, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of your kids studies botany and the other one is a birder, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what What advice do you have? What advice do you have for, for people with new children um, in terms of introducing them to nature and, and helping helping their kids develop a healthy relationship with nature as young kids? Um. You know, when I, I think back to my own childhood and my father being an ornithologist and, and me developing an interest in birds that, um, um, I think one of the things that, that I realized as I thought back on all that is that he never took us out to look at birds. We just went outdoors, went for hikes, went for picnics, um, we spent a lot of time outdoors and um and with him and his his friends we'd go out on hikes on the weekend and and they're all naturalists and somebody would always be turning over logs and looking for snakes or scorpions or crickets and somebody would be you know pulling a leaf off of some plant and saying here try this <laughs> and uh it was just a, a nature experience. And I think that just being comfortable outdoors, um, not minding the, the bugs and the spiders and the, the rain and mud and all that. Um, and I think that's, that's really the key. And we kind of, did that with our own kids um and we we took them birding but it was clear 
Clear whenever we whenever we tried to really take them birding, they they rejected that. Yeah, you um, didn't set them against each other. Like, how many species can you list in the next hour? Yeah. Which of you gets the Proctor Prize today? <laughs> See, it, it would be more like you give one only the bird guide, and you give the other only the tree guide, and then yeah. be like, "These are what you have." Cruel, cruel. I feel like you didn't do that. Um, yeah, I love the the idea of just just something experiential and not not um, not goal based. Um, I think yeah. that can really that can really drive somebody crazy if you know that you're out here for the express purpose of seeing one thing. Um, I know that that's something that I'll have to I'll have to fix with my kids because I know why I go to certain places because there's some sort of feature there. There's a very old tree, or there's mm-hmm. I don't know. It's usually tree related or something like that. But it would be helpful if I could take my kids to those places without telling them why I'm going, mm-hmm. and simply make it a more a, a more general experience as opposed to one that's that's hey you're here because i want to i want to show you something that matters to me mm-hmm. um yeah um yeah and in a lot of those places things like that might have become that way for you after you've been there 50 times yeah so mm-hmm. um you have to give the give the kids room to develop their own their own special relationship with those places. Um, oh. I, I um, this reminding me of another a quote that I heard along the way somewhere that really rang true to me. That um, in order for kids to appreciate nature, they need to mess it up a little. Just going to ask mm. you about it. Yep, mm-hmm. this is my favorite thing that you said last time. I was expressing <laughs> concern that my daughter Lucy was just tearing up every green thing that she could outside, and then you said this, and I was like, "Thank you." Yeah. And I mean, it's hard. It's it's tricky nowadays um, with um, you know a lot of the places where we go to experience nature are sanctuaries and parks where you you really shouldn't be messing things up. But in your backyard or um, other places at, at the beach, you can dig holes, turn things over, make dams. Um, all that kind of stuff and all of it is just a, a great way to to just figure out how nature works and and see things yeah that's a good point i never really thought of that that like if somebody lives in the city their only exposure might be in a public park where you really can't do that mm-hmm. um or you're you know you're discouraged from doing it and certainly not in you know like a national park or something like that that's a disservice that's a that's a real big bummer um oh man that's a good ah whatever I'll have to think on more of that later. Um, yeah, I I have to agree though cuz that that I think translates to people going out into areas where they can go off trail, they can walk around. Like mm-hmm. national parks are a great example where yes, you have trails and nobody wants you to go walking in certain areas off into certain spaces, but mm-hmm. you can also very easily just, you know, go explore something. There's lots of places to go off trail where the rules uh aren't as hard and fast where it says yeah go look at that tree don't get lost but if you just go walk out over there check out that pond or go to the top of a mountain or explore Mm -hmm. some other place and i think that uh it also has a lot to do with this idea of places being untrammeled you walk out and you're almost looking at this preserved thing that you're like wow look at it rather than experiencing it going out there and breaking those twigs and finding those mushrooms you can pull over and look at and i think that's a good point where you got to mess it up just a little bit but i think maybe Mm -hmm. Maybe we got to figure out uh, how we can express that without using the term "mess up," because I feel like if people are are encouraged to go experience it in some way, touch it, and that kind of thing, then yeah, they we're won't not, think that we're they're doing not, something uh, wrong. Nobody wants to condone uh, tree vandalism on this podcast. That's <laughs> yeah, not exactly. the purpose of this podcast. Um, I don't want to associate myself with you, tree vandals. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I guess the way I the way I kind of want to finish up here is um, I had a really cool experience last week as i met um isaiah scott who oh, yeah. um said he was he was working with you kind of just on like i think what he was trying to say to me is that like you were kind of becoming a mentor to me and i was like that's really cool isaiah um i met him at an event for for national geographic and mm. he was talking about how you know his big project is is creating a birding field by the way he goes by at 
Ike's Birding Hikes on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So everybody go follow him. He has an awesome Instagram. Um, and he, he's writing a birding guide now. By the way, Casey, he's like 21 years old. He's in college and he's writing a birding guide. He rules. He's amazing. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, he's, he's aiming to incorporate a lot of cultural knowledge into a field guide. So it's, I really... Yeah. I thought of it as this real mm. cool kind of next generation f- field guide. And I wonder if we can start doing that with trees. And I think that's something that both Casey and I are really interested in. Um, and I tried to think about the next generation of nature writers. And, and I really think that's a good window into that. And they're going to be more concerned with, you know, the, the, the relevance of nature and not necessarily with just describing nature. And um, what, what would be some of the more, or what have been some of the more exciting ideas you've kind of seen emerging in uh, in field guides and birding and trees? What what would you hope to see emerge in the next generation of of naturalists? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the concept that is I think is really important, and I, I see it coming to the forefront more is just the idea that there is no separation between humans and nature. Uh, That, uh, uh, you know, 30, 50 years ago, the, the environmental movement was all about preserving wilderness and keeping people out, um, sort of setting aside places where nature could be, pristine and um un un undisturbed and there's uh i mean that's a worthy goal but there's just such a tiny percentage of the earth where that's still possible um and even there there are impacts i mean climate change is the ultimate global impact there is no place uh where where that's not happening um so every place is affected by what humans are doing and and i think that a much more productive way to think about um the natural world is that it's our world um that there is no distinction um so and that leads to you know animals and animals and trees and plants all have rights have ha- deserve a place to live and uh, and so that's kind of a the big picture idea of the... shifting shifting away from a sort of wilderness uh, wilderness versus humans dichotomy and uh more integrated we all share one planet oh wow i've never really thought about that kind of that that dialectic really before like Mm. early 20th late 19th century early 20th century kind of you know what we might think of as exploitative western thinking is all about domination domination of nature and then Mm -hmm. the response to that would be complete sequestration of nature keep it over here keep it perfect and now the synthesis of all of that is is dissolving those borders entirely and thinking about creative ways to do that um so uh thank you hegel for um uh, your guest appearance in this podcast um that that uh, uh david this has been awesome I love uh, I love chatting with you um, when I'm getting the audio wrong. I love chatting with you when I'm getting the audio right. Uh, it's it's been so lovely uh, getting to know you over the past uh, three weeks. And um, Casey, I just have to say you are really you are really on top of it today. Wow! Thank you so much. Let's do it again in another three weeks, you guys. Let's do it again. Um, The next time we're up in Massachusetts, we'll all get together and we'll uh, we'll tap some sugar maples, and hopefully that'll be in a really good foliage season. Um, We'll we'll break open a bottle of mead and um, just just really have a good one. Um, David, thank you so much for uh, for the tree guide for for 
bringing so much kind of closeness between me and trees and Casey and trees and people mm-hmm. and trees into our lives. And, um, oh man, just have a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been, been really fun. I have enjoyed both of our conversations very much. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, um, thanks also for having me, Tobin, and uh, it's just a pleasure to talk to you both. I, I absolutely am happy to be involved. Duh, Casey. Um, by the way, you're going to have to stay on, and I promise not to uh, bully you all that much this time. Uh, uh, I know. Okay. Um, David, thank you so much. Um, enjoy your whatever it is today, Tuesday. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I will. Thank you. You too.